Hi, I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. You're listening to She Said, She Said. Teresa Gerard is an artist, and she's also a teacher who produces workshops for creative people and for those who are hoping to spark their creativity. She is an exhibiting member of the Providence Art Club, and she maintains studios in Rhode Island and Bonita Springs, Florida. She is the founder and former art director of Access to Art. That's a community-based fine art program. Before pursuing her art career, she had a successful career as a corporate marketing executive. Teresa's story and her path to her art is what we'll talk about today, along with her perspective on why we should embrace creative pursuits. Several of our guests on the podcast have talked about the importance of pursuing creative outlets to unlock potential for problem solving and also innovation. Beth Comstock in one of our recent episodes is a great example of that. Today, we're talking to Teresa at the Louisa Gould Gallery in Vineyard Haven, Massachusetts. This is one of a number of galleries to showcase Teresa's work, and it's where I first became familiar with Teresa. So a big, big thanks to Louisa Gould for hosting our conversation today. We're going to have some great photos of her gallery in the show notes, and we'll post those along with the episode. And a big thanks to my helpful intern, Lane Elizabeth Kaplan, who's with me today. We have no nepotism policy on the She Said, She Said podcast, so Lane gets to help out today, and we're really, really happy to have you. Teresa. Hello. Welcome to She Said, She Said. Thanks for having me on. And I agree, your assistant is really quite diligent and a very good writer. (laughs) Well, we're very, very happy to be here with you. And thank you for spending some time this morning. How did you know you wanted to become an artist? Hmm. That's a very good question. I think when I was young, um, you know, I learned in school a little bit about the Sistine Chapel, and that amazed me. And I think that was my first connection to the art world and, and how really beautiful and meaningful and really spiritual art can be. Uh, I would say that's probably the first time I really was impacted by other paintings. Yeah. As far as me, crayons. Really? Yeah, you know, my aunt, God rest her soul, used to say, she's very good at coloring. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, you know, and I I really love to do it. I think it was interesting when I would color when I was young, I would always draw outside of the picture that was in the coloring book. I would always draw lines outside and make the skirt bigger or the head smaller. So I guess it was just there. Yeah. The coloring outside the lines when you say that, and I have the benefit of having heard you talk about your process Mm -hmm. and about how you approach your paintings. And I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that because something that you just said really resonated with what you told me about your process. Right. Well, at the beginning of all of my paintings, I do, you know, intuitive drawing or expressive drawing. Um, and the real reason, I actually just made that connection now, is just speaking about that. But the, a couple of reasons that I do it. First of all, 
I mostly do it to remove any distractions mm. so that when I go into the painting, I can have a clear head. And, you know, everyday life gets in the way. So by just doing some expressive drawing on the painting, it also helps me to take control of the canvas immediately. Once I put a mark on there, it becomes mine. It's intuitively mine, just as if you put a mark on a canvas, it would be only your mark. So it allows me to take control of the canvas from the very beginning. Does it also, in some respects, kind of take away that notion of the blank page? Staring at the blank canvas, staring at the blank page, is it sort of the same? Yeah, I'm not necessarily intimidated by that, but I know a lot of my students are. And I, I definitely encourage them to get some marks on there. And it's, it's, the whole process is the ability to move forward. Forward is, is, is good. You know, it doesn't matter if it's fast or slow, it just needs to be forward. Yeah. So art has been in your life since the very beginning, since crayons, to use your words, but it didn't become your full-time or primary pursuit until later. So talk a little bit about how that career transition or professional transition occurred. Well, I, in my heart, it was always there. But in reality of my life, you know, I came from a big family. I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. And it really wasn't an option for me. Uh, there, was, there were no monies for art school, which is all I really wanted to do. So it had to go on hold. And it went on hold. And I pursued other things and uh, worked very hard and, and uh, you know, to the top of my, my career and the ability to work for a manufacturing company, uh, specifically with colors and different things. And, uh, you know, I worked for Dow Brands for many years on the commercial side. They sent me to school, you know, for uh, business training type thing. And I just blossomed with that. And, um, you know, and I always did something artful on the side. If, if I, I traveled for, you know, 15 years and every town that I went to, I would go to the art museum there. So it was always my partner, but I had to support myself. Yeah. Did you envision it becoming a full-time pursuit back always. then? Always. Yeah. Always. When I was young, I would draw paintings of, I would, I would be standing there with a beret, and I would be painting on a palette, and I would be taking my mother to Paris, and that was always my dream. So I always knew that given the right circumstances, that I would, I would just do it. And, you know, I, like I said, life gets in the way. So sometimes that was on hold, and as soon as I had that opportunity, I jumped in. Yeah. When did so the opportunity came when you? Well, I was downsized or right sized, as they call it now, and um, uh, you know I still continued work on a part time basis, but I took the opportunity and the severance and uh, t started to really pursue art as as my uh, my main focus and my goal. Yeah. This may sound like a strange question, but you grew up in a big family. Yes. Um, resources were limited, as you said, because yes. there were lots of children. Do you did you find that your family didn't sort of take creative pursuits as seriously as a potential opportunity to make a living? Well, I think it was the times too. Right. You know, I think it was uh, you know it was the '60s, and I think we as women were coming into our own then. We had a lot to, you know, I worked very, very hard. I had a lot to prove. I was not, you know, I did the same job as a gentleman in my field and made at least 20000 to $30,000 less. 
that was difficult, but I was happy to have the job. So, but you know, all of that is a wonderful thing. And and women before me uh, really paved the way uh, in in the art world. Uh, I mean, we're still fighting the same fight, unfortunately, right. in in 2020, uh, soon to be. But um, I just think it was. Uh, the times it was a sign of the times and those opportunities were not available to me on top of that so it made it maybe doubly difficult but I don't regret any of that that uh, you know I traveled for a living and and that might sound very glamorous it's not but it was an education for me to travel and to meet other people and other people in the arts different levels of arts writing uh, music, music sculpture so the traveling through my my profession was really an education in itself and then I crafted my own art education I had certain tools that I could lean on because intuitively I think it was always there but I have wonderful mentors and I you know I went to a lot of classes and and worked one-on-one with Al Lockman he's from Pennsylvania he's a marvelous artist he's had one job his whole life he's been an artist and Ellen Raleigh from Boston many many others and I I just crafted my own education and that's what worked for me yeah and you know later on I certainly had the opportunity to go back to school but academia just didn't seem as important to me at the time my career was taking off in the art world uh and I I didn't know how much more I would gain from that at at that particular time in my life how much was it a struggle when you were first getting started, once you made that transition to pursue your art full-time? Well, financially it was a struggle, but it was never a struggle because I felt right at home. Mm. Um, I, I would equate it to the way you know a mom feels when she has a baby and she just knows that that's where her heart is. Well, I felt the same way about painting and being in the art world. Do you, can you advise um, people listening who maybe are having trouble finding that true north, that sort of place that resonates with them, whether it's pursuing art, whether it's pursuing some other career pursuit? How do you know when you've found your, your why, your purpose, your what it is you're supposed to do? I think you have to get alone with yourself. I think that you have to remove yourself from all of the uh, the rest of the world and whatever that is for you for me uh, you know as you, as we talked many of my paintings are blue for me it's the ocean if i can just sit there and be be one with the ocean uh, i i can have a clear thought a clear mind and you know i believe that you know your true north is very guttural and i think that you already have the answers there you just don't listen to them because you really already possess the answers. And I, I also believe that meditation is a great way to find that because you know, you're know you digging deeper. Um, I think that that's a good way to, to get that guttural instinct. Um, and for some it comes more natural than others. Some people are evolved and they take the time to look that closely. I would suggest it for everyone. Do you meditate? I do, I do. I had the uh, the great opportunity of working with Madeline Abellini. She teaches the John Kabat-Zinn method, which I really was drawn to because it didn't feel like voodoo to me. Mm. Uh, it felt like something real. It, it was developed in in Boston for the the terminally ill and the 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 people who are in chronic pain. So you know, it provided an answer. And for me, and this gets back to your true north kind of question. 
you know, the whole philosophy of meditation is to be present, and it sounds so simple, but it's not simple at all. It requires a great deal of effort. So uh, just like, you know, the artwork, someone will look at my painting and say, well, you know, that looks pretty easy. I could probably do that, and I welcome them to, to do it. Um, but it's about being present, and that also gives you a great deal of clarity. Mm-hmm. Can you describe your meditation practice? Well, it's a, it's a daily med- meditation. Madeline does something online called Zen for Ten. And if I don't have time to uh, challenge myself, I'll listen to the Zen for Ten. Ten minutes? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. a ten-minute meditation. I like a guided meditation myself. It just appeals to me more. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, listen, you can do it anywhere. I did it on the ferry this morning coming over to Martha's Vineyard. You know, when you have a few minutes, it's the best time. So you don't necessarily have to be in solitude and in a dimly lit room. And No, I think that's the point of meditation. You must take it with you as a tool everywhere you go so that in the busiest of places you can be present and peaceful. How does it affect your work? It improved my work dramatically, I think. Uh, from the standpoint that I was able to be in, in in constant presence with the painting itself. You know, I always say, you know, when I'm in front of my canvas, this is my spirit, this is my cathedral. And I believe that meditation allowed me to look a little further into the work and to stay present in that very sacred space. And I do believe my work improved after that. Yeah. We talked a little bit about your process, but I'd love for you to deconstruct a piece for us. Okay. You start with drawing, as you've mentioned, but walk me through the process of developing Well, there are only two things that I decide before I begin, and I paint almost every day. And that's, I'll decide sort of on the palette I'm interested in working with that day, and the size of the painting. Otherwise, everything else is left up to intuition and my ability to work the canvas. Uh, I start off with a, a, a very, you know, painterly loose drawing uh, that I'm simply making marks. I'm not really making a thing or a drawing of something. Um, uh, so I'll start with that type of an expressionistic painting and then you know little by little I'll have this conversation a mental conversation with the painting I'll maybe be thinking about adding some shapes and and I'll always want them to be a little different I tell my students you know you've got to have a large piece a medium piece and a small piece Um, so maybe I'll do something like that and I'm always looking for a soft conflict with the color You know, I really like to see beautiful color in a painting. It's very important, especially with non-objective work. And, of course, I want the composition to be crisp. So I'm looking for all these things. I'm self-critiquing as I'm moving through the painting, but it's really a construction, sort of deconstruction, action-in-action type of process. That It's an ongoing conversation with the painting. So when people look at your pieces, and we're going to post some photographs on the website so that they can see some of your beautiful work. Thank you. um, What do you hope that they will see? Do you have a vision for this is a you know an interpretation of a coffee cup or not to be too simplistic about yeah, it but sure. is there something that you have created that it's your version of a sailboat or something or is it just 
the colors and you're letting people see what they want to see. Talk about what how you want people to interpret your yeah. art. Yeah, and they all interpret them differently, which is interesting. But I think for me as an artist, the most successful part of the painting is is when the when the viewer is engaging the painting. My hope is for them to have a feeling um, to have it affect them in some way, sort of like a daydream, you know, where they'll look at the painting and it will take them somewhere or invoke some kind of an emotion in them. That would be my goal and, and that would make me happy to, uh, you know, to someone that would be viewing my painting. What's the highest compliment you've ever received about your art? I have a friend and she said that I was an artist's artist and that meant a lot to me. Um, but my mentor, Al Lachman, has said many, many things to me over the years, but he's always said to me, um, you know, your ability to experiment and dig in will keep you fresh. So I, I would say those two things uh, meant a lot to me. I think the biggest success I feel I've ever had, I, you know, I do my work, uh, you know, my non-objective work, and I'm always doing a project piece. Like, I did some uh, sculptures made from my brother's T-shirts. He's disabled, and I use them for painting cloths. And that I call project work, you know. Um, and so I enjoy that. And, and there was a show in Naples, Florida, and I was showing two pieces. One was a kimono that was made of clothing tags, because clothing tags sometimes I find extremely interesting. They're like little paintings. So I made a kimono out of that. And then the second painting that I had in this particular show was made from my palette skins, the whole painting. It was quite large. And I think my biggest compliment and my biggest success was that the two people that bought those two pieces, which were project pieces and not really you know, most of my bread and butter work, they had just donated every painting in their house to a museum and they were starting their collection again and they started it with those two pieces and I was extremely honored. That to me was the highest compliment. How do you know when a project is done? It's, you know, I think I find it unavoidable to keep tinkering if it's typically something I've written or something that I've produced for the podcast to just tinker, 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 sure, tinker. Yeah. How, do you, how do you know when it's done? How do you know when to stop? Well, for the past 30 years, I would say that the art goddess has landed in my studio maybe four times where she's come down <laughs> and um, I've made 10 or 12 marks on the painting and it's done. That I call, the, I call that a gift from the universe and it doesn't happen very often. And what you mean by that is just that it happens so easily and sort of effortlessly to some degree that it's just... It... it, it Feels right, and again, I'll go back to my mentor, Al, who's, who, when I asked him this question, he answered me this way, and I think it's the right answer. He said, when a painting's done, it's done, and when it's not done, it's not done. And I know that sounds very simple, but in the eye of the artist, there are particular things I'm looking for. I want a nice crisp comp composition. I want it to have good contrast. I want the color to be, you know, uh, movable and 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 to have a have a soft conflict and you know th those things are important to me um so you know then it's done you know as far as I'm concerned and when I'm finished 
Um, you know, when I'm painting, I'm not thinking about finishing the painting. I'm thinking about painting the painting. But when I feel I'm finished, I, you know, if you took 10 of my paintings, I would probably look at them and say, I love those four. You know, I don't necessarily love these, but they're good paintings. Mm -hmm. And would if I don't like it, I, I won't show it. Yeah. I'll work on it till it's, I feel it's finished. Can you prioritize process over result? Which is more important. Oh, process. Absolutely. Who cares about the result? I mean, you know, if you're painting for yourself, it's like, you know, you do your podcast because you love it and, and you get joy from it. It's the same thing. I mean, once it's finished, it's, I want it out of the house. I've moved on to the next thing. It's the reason that, you know, I have many people that copy my style or, and I just say, you know, once they're copying me, they're already behind because I've moved on to the next thing. How about feedback? You talked about mentors. You obviously get great feedback from mentors typically. But in a creative pursuit, I would think it would be really difficult to know who to listen to, right? How do you, how do you know what feedback you should listen to? It's easy. You just listen to yourself. It, you know, it's a very guttural process, and you have to listen to yourself. You cannot compromise the work. Um, you know, I tell my students all the time, don't go home and show it to your partner because they don't really know anything about what you're doing. And, you know, but on the other hand, if you're going to be in this business or really any business, you have to have a tough skin. I mean, it's a very personal thing, you know, painting and music and sculpture and all of it, writing. It's very personal. And when it becomes personal, then it, it affects you. So you have to develop a tough skin to be able to just ignore most of that. You know, some people have made comments on my painting who I respect. Uh, the gallery owner here, Louisa Gould, is the best gallery on the island, and she's fabulous. And she's got a great eye, a trained eye. She's also a photographer and a painter. And if she tells me something about a painting, I listen because I respect her eye. But the rest of it's all baloney. Who cares? It doesn't matter to me if they like it or not. Yeah. You know, if I like it, that's all that matters. Any advice for how to develop that thick skin besides just ignoring the criticism that's irrelevant? Breathe in the blue and breathe out the red. It's, it, if you look at it as it just gets in the way, you know, it's just a distraction. That's all it is. It just gets in the way. And it gets in the way of your painting. So why bother with it? What about when you get stuck, right? Whether you're uh, an artist or pursuing something creative or whether you're working in government relations or investment banking or any other pursuit, there are gonna be times when you get stuck. What do you do when you get stuck? And what's your advice for your students? Well, I have to be perfectly honest with you. I don't get stuck. I, I really haven't ever been completely stuck. Maybe after 9-11, it was difficulty. But somebody told me a long time ago, when you don't know what to do, go in the studio and sharpen pencils. And that's what I do, because one thing will lead to another. So I guess the best advice I would give is do something. If it is sharpening pencils, or if it's cleaning your studio, whatever. Uh, it'll, you'll, you'll inevitably run across something that you'll see that you've had for a while that will spark something in you. So I would just say move forward and uh, just do something. I mentioned uh, the fact that you teach. We haven't talked about that. Talk about your workshops, your work as a teacher, and what kinds of programs you're teaching. Well, my work as a teacher is, is such a gift. 
um, uh, to me from the students. Um, I love doing it. It's exhausting. Um, I hate the fact that I'm getting older and I'll have to cut back a little bit. But um, it, it's a great cross-pollination of so many different people and ideas. And when you do make that impact on a student, it, it's a bright light in your life. And it, it, it's such a good feeling, as well as people who maybe are not so interested in what you have to teach. They teach you a lesson as well. But, um, but it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. I teach uh, uh, drawing and painting for the non-objective artist, and, uh, which some people call intuitive painting. Mine is really strongly based on fine art, the elements and principles of art, uh, good color mixing, uh, all of those important things that really work for any kind of painting. I'm, I'm very particular about that. Mm. And, um, and, you know, to create an atmosphere of kindness and fun. You work with corporate types from time to time I have. as oh, well. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. and as a corporate type yourself. Talk about those programs and, and why they're important. Well, you know, I, ha I haven't done one for a while, but I have done corporate programs, info large groups, uh, you know, different organizations. And, you know, I think that it brings everybody into a level playing field. As everybody comes in the room, I can't draw, I can't draw. And then, you know, if you simplify things and have them have a better appreciation for what it is that their hand can do, it, it really does level the playing field. And I think that that is a good team building opportunity. And I think it's also a good problem-solving opportunity. Mm -hmm. We talked, I talked in the intro of the show about unlocking potential through creative pursuits. And there's a lot of particularly newer literature that's been written about this phenomenon and engaging in something that you might not otherwise mm -hmm. that really is a creative pursuit yes. in order to be more effective in other areas or to, to come up with answers um, to questions or challenges that you may be struggling with. Talk a little bit about how you've seen your students, your, your less art-oriented students yep. and more corporate-oriented students responding to this type of training? Well, I think that, I, I, first of all, I think everyone is creative. I really do. Um, and, uh, you know, I also think the challenge, especially now in, in, in our current contemporary world, I, I think people should be more curious. You know, I was always curious. That's what moved me forward. I always wanted to know more, or how did that work? Or, I mean, you could be an engineer, or you could, it doesn't matter. If you remain curious, it will move you forward naturally. And, you know, many of the things I send to people at the end, I always put stay curious because I think if you have that curiosity, especially in this day and age where everything is so accessible so quickly. Um, and curiosity may take a little more time for you to look. I think that's very important in any field. Yeah. And myself as a creative as well. I, you know, I'll go back and take a figure drawing class, which maybe is not something I'm, you know, especially great at, but it challenges me and makes me a better artist if I try to move forward and stay curious. Yeah. How can we do a better job of encouraging the next generation to be more curious? To, to not lose that curiosity, really, that you have when you're really yeah. small. I, I really think it's our job, especially as artists, to educate, to educate people about what it means when you purchase a painting in a gallery. I, I think we have an obligation to, to spread that and to, and to let people know. I think also, when we become successful, we should put our energy 
towards these things because let's be honest, if, if a neighborhood is in distress, who's the first people that go in and change that? Writers, musicians, artists, they're the healers. And I think that we as uh, you know, successful people have an obligation to, to encourage that. I live in a community that's near the, the beach and you know, you know, oh, it's a beach area and that's really nice, but all the money goes into sports. In the high schools and the grammar schools, and you know, if you're not an athlete and if you're not involved in sports, music, art, writing, sculpture can really heal you and help you. And it might be the difference between having a voice and and maybe going in the wrong direction. So I do believe all these things heal, and I think we have to educate um, our communities and and have them see the importance of this healing effect on our, our young people. Yeah, I know you work with community-based programs. I did, have. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was probably the most rewarding thing, one of the most rewarding things I did. Um, at the time, I really liked the 13 through 16-year-olds. That's when, that's when they're lost, you know, and again, if they're not involved in sports or some kind of a school-driven program, I mean, the arts is the first thing to go when the budget is not there. And I just found them, you know, so open to, to learning and, and the, you know, art in particular for me and music for others that I know just becomes such a great outlet for a positive experience. Any specific stories that stick out? to you in terms hmm. of that experience? Um, I think that uh, I think that I would talk about we would have a show every year for the students and I had several students that had self-esteem issues and you could just tell by working with them that there was something amiss but you just know um, and we would have the show for the students and they would be so proud of their work and showing their work to Maybe their family wasn't even there, but they would show their work to other people and they just got such a great sense of pride and accomplishment that that probably had the biggest impact on me. And the boost in their confidence. Unbelievable. Especially for young ladies, the self-esteem issue is huge. And uh, when they accomplish something with their hands, it's a very tactile and it gives them a great deal of confidence. Yeah. In one of the blogs on your website that I read, you talk about learning to let go of what you plan to paint and allow the one present to emerge. Correct. How do you do that? What does that mean? <laughs> well, we talked earlier about meditation. Being present is a very helpful tool for that. Um, you know, I think that people start off, and certainly my students will start off, and they want to make a masterpiece. They want to finish. They want it to be good. They're very self-critical. And I think that you have to let all of that go and allow the painting to, to allow yourself to work with the painting to make that happen. I know that sounds sort of ethereal, but, but it, it does. And after you paint about a thousand paintings, you'll realize that that is the process. <laughs> but that's really what I mean. Just let go of all the preconceived notions and let the painting happen. Yeah. Part of getting comfortable in being an artist is learning to put yourself out there. There is a real vulnerability associated with creative fields, with any field where you're putting your heart and soul out there for someone else to see, 
judge. to love or to judge. Yeah. <laughs> and dealing with that judgment can be so difficult. What's your advice for your students in dealing with that judgment and that criticism, especially when it's harsh and maybe mm -hmm. uneducated? Well, I would, I would tell them to embrace the vulnerability and to understand that being vulnerable also means being open. Uh, and that openness will really help you move along in your success. And, you know, the four agreements are beautiful agreements, and the second one is take nothing personally. And it's a very hard thing to do, I think for, especially for women. But I would say that it's a waste of your creative time. And, and, and know that when you're vulnerable, you're open. You're open to good things coming in instead of necessarily negative. What are the four agreements? It's kind of what I live by. Uh -huh. It's uh, <laughs> by John Miguel Ruiz. It's, Always do your best, and this is really true about when you're an artist, because your best is different from day to day. Take nothing personally. Make no assumptions. That's probably one of the hardest things for me. And the fourth? Be conscious of your word. Uh, you know, what you speak is, and you know, this is a good point, uh, about what we just spoke about. You can, I'll see my students and they'll say, I'll say, I really like that painting. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, the blues aren't right. And, the, you know, we can self-talk ourselves out of everything. So be, be really confident with your word and, and make sure your word is pure. That's great. Yeah. Words to live by. How do you think about this notion of impact and the impact that you hope you will have had, ultimately? Well, that is important to me, is impact and legacy. And I would hope that through my actions, through my artwork, through my teaching, that I would have, first of all, brought some joy with me on that journey, and also made a difference in someone's soul that perhaps they would see things differently for themselves. That would be the biggest thing. Did I make a difference? Did it matter? I believe it does. And I believe that all art, music, all of the arts matter, writing. I mean, history has shown us that. So I would want to leave that message too. Teresa, we ask every person who comes on the podcast for a single piece of advice, a life hack, maybe a mantra, maybe it's what you would have told your younger self if you could have done so. What is yours? Well, Maya Angelou said, no one becomes poor from giving. And that's my life mantra, that no one becomes poor from giving. So I would ask everyone listening to this, um, especially our wonderful woman folk, is to continue to pay it forward. Pay it forward. That's the legacy. Teresa, thank you. You're I've welcome. learned a lot. I really it was appreciate fun. it. Fun meeting you. You're great. Fun meeting you too. And I, as you know, I love your work. I own some small pieces of your work. You're but a collector. They <laughs> on a very modest scale, yeah. but they mean a lot to me. And so it's I'm been, happy. That's you. That's my goal. I've yeah. done my job. <laughs> well, it's been great to spend time with you. You too. 
Please be sure to check out the show notes for this episode to learn a bit more about Teresa and also to see a few photographs from our conversation here at the Louisa Gould Gallery in Vineyard Haven, Massachusetts. You can follow She Said, She Said podcast on Instagram. You can also follow Teresa on Instagram as well as on Facebook. And I also post a regular blog about our content on LinkedIn, so be sure to check that out as well. Visit our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com to find our entire lineup of amazing guests who, like Teresa, are inspiring, insightful, and having a positive impact on the world. Again, a big, big thank you to Teresa, to our intern, Lane Elizabeth Kaplan, and to Louisa Gould at the Louisa Gould Gallery for hosting our conversation today. And as always, thanks so much to our audience for listening. Thank you.